in me that he saved me, but not just saved me, but he counts me just worthy enough with his grace upon me to be trusted with his reputation. Did you know that when you leave here, God's trusting you? (laughs) Oh my, with his reputation. Well, I got a word from the Lord today, and I'm just going to tell you, it might be a little bit challenging for some of us, but I want to know, church, are you ready for revival? I'll try it again. I want to know today, church, are you ready for revival? If you're ready for revival, that means that the Lord, amen, has a word for us from the scriptures that will allow us to see him, more of him and less of us. You do know we get full of ourselves, don't you? No, not Baptist folks, no. As a Southern Baptist, I found out that I can be full of myself. I can love being Southern Baptist so much that I forget that the Lord has a world of people coming into the South and the North and the West Coast that, that, that aren't Southern Baptists. I sometimes forget that, that there are some folks that don't know what Awanas is. There are some folks that don't know what uh, even being Baptist is all about. And so because I'm so full of myself, I have found over the years that we've missed some folks. And I think it's time for the church to have a revival. So I'm going to ask that question again, church. Are you ready for revival? I just want to pray. I'm going to pray that I'm going to preach. I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to mess with y'all this morning. But I will say this. I want you to pray for my wife. Pray for my wife and her family. My wife this past week lost her elder sister. And, and it was just interesting because we were all, we were in Michigan last week and we were all together. The Lord gave us a great time to share with my 16-year-old granddaughter at her sweet 16 karaoke party. Amen. And a 16-year-old, they were not singing Baptist music, but I'll tell you that, that we were just, we were just blessed to be able to be in her presence that day and, and, and to just hang out with her. But then we didn't know that the night we got back to South Carolina that we would get a call. And so we'll be going back out to Detroit that we might share in her home going. Um, and so just keep the family in your prayers for me. Father, we thank you now for the time you've given us to share your gospel. We ask, oh God, that you would guide us in your word, that God, this which we will speak will not just be from us, but will be from you. Father, we pray that you will hide us behind your cross, that there's more of thee and less of me. Give us information for our heads, inspiration for our hearts, and implementation for our hands that we would not leave here the same way today, God, that we were when we got here. Use your church to be your mouthpiece, your hands and your feet in the community and in the world that we might win souls to you. It is in your name that we pray this prayer In the name of Jesus Christ, we say, amen. From 1 Samuel chapter number 7, I'm going to read uh, the verses of verses 3 through 13 from 1 Samuel chapter number 7. It says, then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, if you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods, the Ashtaroths, from among you, 
and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I prayed to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And and Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. Then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shannon, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. You know, we're living in a strange Time, But it's no stranger than this scripture in 1 Samuel that we're discussing because the enemy has always come against the children of God. Amen. There is a battle going on, church, that we find ourselves in that the nations around us, the enemy, the the, uh, uh, those who wish to come against the Lord's children find themselves uh, as formidable foes for some of us. Through the pandemic, through the economic downturn, through all the different things that we find going on around us, I have seen so many of us as believers beaten into submission. Come on, church. How many complaining Christians do you know? (laughs) That got a better response. Well, these Ashtaroths or these Baals, these, these gods of other nations, these pagan gods have always found themselves ramping up against God's people. And so the church, I want you to know today, we are the force that God has brought as the light against the forces of darkness. And so we today as the church need a revival. We, we need to be refreshed and renewed, revived to know that, that, that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. That he is greater than any power, principality that can come against us. 
And so in sharing this, this message from the word of God this week, I want to encourage someone that's here that, that we cannot be defeated as the church. But we are called to stand. And, and when you go through a pandemic, when you go through what we've been through, I think we just need a good revival. In this text, Israel, as the nation of God, is in need of revival because this nation has been weakened. Both politically and geographically, religiously, they have found themselves oppressed, pressed, pushed to their limits. Like many of us find ourselves pushed and pressed to our limits. But it's in the context of that corruption and and decline that Samuel emerges as God's man for the hour. Come on, somebody say, we need a man for the hour. Oh, my wife said it. Thank you, honey. That's right. You know, I've told many churches that if I didn't have that cheerleader some Sundays, I'd just go back home. But Samuel in the text stresses the demands of God on the people that they face. They, they face some adversity, but, but if they were going to experience spiritual renewal, he was going to be called to do what God has called him to do in the midst of even the oppression that's come against them. Those same requirements for revival is the challenge for us today. The challenge for Christians all over today. We're living in a time of corruption. We're living in a time where we see women who are wicked, wishy-washy, and wayward. We see men who are mean, mad, and mundane. We see malevolent, malign behaviors. We see disobedience, dying, desperate, dangerous, dumb, discombobulated young folks. I'm telling you, we are living in a... Oh, I get tired just talking about it. But the reality for us today is all is not lost. We find ourselves understanding that God has made us understand as beings who are complex. I I wish it was just so simple, but it's not. We're more complex than the crawling creatures, the grasshoppers, those supposedly smarter. uh, We're supposedly smarter than them, but many times I wonder... What in the world is going on with us? And so while we're in the midst of this struggle, as we look around us, and I look around and I'm often perplexed and burdened in my heart because as first, uh, as second Timothy tells us in chapter three, he says they're without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Bro. Oh no, y'all not my bro, but bro. The reality is this, when you think about how God has explained those who are in the world that are not in him, the church has an assignment. And so first Samuel presents the godly Samuel, this man of God and an ungodly Saul. (laughs) Chapter three, God calls Samuel and appoints him a prophet of the Lord. You know, the prophet is the one who speaks to man from God. The priest is the one who speaks to God for man. And Jesus, our king, is coming to reign 
under God, over man, but he appoints Samuel in the text as a prophet of God. Samuel challenges the people to to worship the Lord, their God, and the people cry out. They wanted a king like the other nations. Hold on a minute. Is that not America today? Grasping for the wrong king? It's challenging to think about we're a nation who decried that we did not want a king. Hold on, wait a minute. Let me not get too deep. But our Constitution is established that we would not be under the hierarchy of a kingship, yet our Lord God is our king. So can we let the Constitution take a back seat for a moment? And talk about what it means to be a nation united under the king. What? Wait a minute. That is not what I've been hearing. You see, these people, they cried out. They wanted a king like the other nations. And God allowed them to have just what they asked for. Is that not America? Sometimes God will give you just what you ask for. And you, my mama used to say, you better be careful what you ask for, because for the grass is not always greener on the other side. In the text, Saul becomes Israel's first king, and Saul proved to be a very poor king. (laughs) Boy, it's bad to, to, to get a king, and he's just lousy, just a lousy king. I I mean, come on, you, you, you call that king, right? You prayed to God for that king. You asked God to send us this leader like the other nations, and you get this leader that now has buked you. And so in the text, I want to go to my first point because it's very important that we understand this, that revival requires sincere repentance. See, see, when, when you get the wrong king because you've prayed, prayed for the wrong king, then, then God, because he's responded to your prayers, re- requires something of you. Because he responded to your prayers. In the text, God will find a resting place for the ark in the text, in the text. When you read through the text, you'll find that they had not found a place for the ark. And so now this, this resting place for the ark has been established. And, and if some uh, uh, understand, have, have, have found themselves where God now can rest in your hearts. A dwelling place for the Lord where God now has challenged us to come to ourselves and realize that you have to receive him. But today, are we, church, ready to receive God in our hearts that we might have revival? And so in the text, we see that 20 years have passed. 20 years, and and the house of Israel, I understand, uh, uh, cared for the want of the ark. They needed a place that God's presence would dwell with them. And during this time, the prophet Samuel labors to revive true religion in the nation. 
And I believe the revival that we need in the church of, of today is that God is trying to find a place that he can dwell with his people. One of the things I found out is it's not about color. It's not about culture. It's not about class. Why? Because there's going to be some poor folks in heaven. Some rich folks in heaven. Some black folks, some some other folks, some of those folks and these folks, some skinny folks, some wide folks. There's going to be some different folks that's going to make it in the kingdom. Because the Bible tells us they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I dare to say not in party, not in class, not in suburb or inner city, but in spirit and in truth. And so the few words used are very expressive in the text. It was one of those most effectual revivals of religion that ever took place in the nation of Israel. He just caused them to worship the Lord their God. That's all I'm calling for today, Bethel. I don't have to get deep in history and culture and content. I just want you to, God is calling his church. Are you his church? Come on, somebody. Y'all kind of quiet this morning. Am I scaring anybody? God is just trying to light a fire in some of us. God is trying to get a response. God wants to know it. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so somebody has to be willing to repent, to go to God and say, God, I prayed for a king that was not like you. It pushes our intestinal fortitude, doesn't it, to go to God and have to admit that we messed up. Samuel's calling the nation to admit to God that they messed up, that they required for themselves something that God did not desire for them. But God yet still uses the evil king. In the text, in the word of God, we find that God uses the labor, the burdens of the evil king to draw his people back to him. Where are we in this hour, church? I just kind of let that marinate. You know how you do a pork chop in gravy? The longer it sits, the tenderer it gets. In the face of their own consequences, in the consequences, the tragic consequences of their own sin, the people recognize their need to be restored back to God. Man, could you imagine if the church in America recognized its need to be restored Back to God? Uh, what, if, what if God, uh, just some, some, some Sunday, required everybody to leave out of their church? Oh, that happened, didn't it? 
What if God took a year and said, you can't go to that, that building that you've paid for, that you've <laughs> financed, that you've built? Because I want you to know what it's like to be my church, my people who are not hung up on pews and seats and lights. But who are willing to worship me in spirit and in truth without the addendum of all of those things that you've attracted yourself to that have put me on the back row. That happened, didn't it? The only reason I'm saying this is because I want you to recognize that this is an awesome time that God has given the senior church and the middle-aged church, the millennial church, the Gen Z church. God has given us an opportunity to get it right. Good grief. Oh, man. Maybe I'm not talking to the right people this morning. Anybody in here feel like there's something God's requiring of us that we need to push a little further, do a little better? Okay, let me, can I, I'm going to do a teaching later on, and I promise I won't get this hype about it, so you don't have to be scared to come back if I'm scaring you right now. But I want you to ask yourself a question. Is Bethel what it used to be? It's more. I'm so glad she said it, and you know why? Because the spirit and the power of God is invested in each and every one of you sitting here today. You're absolutely right. It's more. Why? Because we are now getting a... Ability, the opportunity in the text to repent and come to God. Let me, let me, okay, I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea. You remember that church and the Lord tells the church at Laodicea that you have a name that you're alive but you're dead? You have a name that you're rich but you're poor? Let me, let me help you with that. What God is saying is it's okay where you are. I got an opportunity for you. See, the Pericope, the text today tells us he calls them back to him. That is God's grace. And that is God's mercy, giving us an opportunity to what? Come to him that he might renew and revive us. Good grief. Ain't nothing like revival. And let me tell you, you don't have to be living in in deep sin to be revived. We always, as Baptists, we want to we want to equate revival with getting rid of people's sins. And no, you can be you can be in the will of God and just need a revival. You can be missing your neighbor, not sharing the gospel with your teacher, and need a revival. And so, in the text, though they prayed for this king here, in the text, God says, "I want you to understand that I need you to seek repentance." In the text, and so repentance is more than just feeling sorry for your sins. It is going to God to get the power to turn away from things that you might get back on the Lord's assignment. How many times in the church do we hear folks say, "Just turn from your sins and turn to God"? But you know what? When I was in the world, I didn't have the power to turn from my sins. I had to turn to God to get the power to turn from my sins. So the reality for us in this text today is that that repentance, sincere repentance involves turning to God from sin, but turning to God to get the power that you might turn from the sin. And too many of us are expecting the preacher and the pastor to punch our ticket for us. Samuel could only declare unto the Lord and declare unto the nation the requirements of God, but he could not do it for them. 
He restored religion. He forgot they got a place for the Ark of the Covenant where God might dwell. But the reality for us today is the worship space for us is just the beginning. It's what God does in our hearts that will make the difference. That's why he says in 2 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my names would humble themselves and pray and seek my face. What? God wasn't talking to the building. He says, if my people who are called by what? My name. I talked about we carry the reputation of God. When folks see us walk out of Bethel and out of New Zion and out of Mount Zion and out of New Salem, guess what God says? Take my name and go forth. It's important that we recognize that the Lord is calling us forth. But he says, if my people, if you say you are called and in the in the Greek, when we talk about if the word if is since. And so since my people who are called by my name, because you've already declared Jesus as your savior, you've already been washed in the blood of the crucified lamb. Hello. So this is just a reminder that you are the Lord's people. Good God almighty. That means that God has made me his middleman, his intercessor for those who he deems to be saved, those who know not the Lord. He says, if they would turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God in that text in Second Chronicles transcends just the spiritual. And he says then what happens is when you repent, it impacts everything about the life that you're living. So if something around your circle, something's not going just right. If some folks in your family aren't saved, if there's some wayward people, guess what? When, oh my gosh. When the church repents. Turns from the wicked ways. Well, what are our wicked ways? Well, many of us have put God on the back seat of the church. It's more about our business than the Lord's business. I pastored. I know. We didn't have members in our church. We had partners in, in the church. You know why we had to have partners? Because partners have equal investment. Members can sign up and, and take their name off the roll when they feel like it. But when you're born into the kingdom of God, you, that's a membership that, that you can't take away. You're a partner. The Bible says we're co-laborers together with God. Amen. And so there are things that he's telling us to let go as the church that we need to be refocused, that we might be revived. And so we need to drop it. As he says, Hebrews 12 and 1, we must get rid of every wheat, uh, every weight and every sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set out for us. What is the race? The great commission. The great commandment. So we have to let some things go, church. And then we have to, guess what? For, for revival, it's going to require sacrificial commitment. Revival requires repentance and revival requires sacrificial re- commitment. Sacrificial commitment. What does that mean to us? Because nowadays we really don't like to hear about sacrifice. We have to give up something. 
And maybe that's why we know so little about revival in the first place, because sacrifice prepares us, prepares our hearts to hear from God. It brings us to the Lord in humility and it allows us to put some things off that the Lord might take the vessel that is laid before him and fill it that it might be poured out to the world with the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Are we sacrificial before the Lord? It says in our text in 1 Samuel that Israel took water and poured it out before the Lord, signifying that they were humiliating themselves. They were in humiliation and sorrow for their sins, and they were ready to be used by God. I think one of the things that we miss, we mess up in the church today is the difference between religion and spirituality. Religion says that we built this building, we laid the cornerstone. Religion says that we show up every Sunday and we serve in the media ministry and on the music ministry and in the kitchen. But spirituality says that the Lord has a passion burning in my heart that I must first make sure that I ratify the contract that he made with me every morning in prayer, that I find my day seeking his face, that I'm in his word, and that I am going forth to tell somebody else about Jesus. That's spirituality. Religion is I showed up, pastor. But let me just help you because religion has not saved anybody. Religion may bring you to the place where salvation occurs, but it never saved anyone. And I'm not down talking religion because it is God who asked the nation, who told them and gave them the instructions for the tabernacle and the temple. He instituted religion. But it was his means of bringing them to him that they might see him, that they might recognize that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that meant that they had to give up their false gods. Well, today I want to ask you, what is getting in front of God? What have we put that we love so much that it has blinded us from the Lord's progress and program and plan for us as his church? Or is it us as church and we invite the Lord in when we feel like it? Anybody uncomfortable with this preacher yet? Because that's what some kind of preaching sometimes does. When I was just a young man in preaching, my pastor told me, Pastor Chris, when I walked in, I was, you know, grinning like a chess cat after a preach. One Sunday, went in his office, sat on the sofa, thought I did pretty good. He said, son, I want to let you know that there were some quiet folks out there today. And I thought he was about to scold me. And he said, it's a good chance that the Lord had him. I said, huh? He says, oftentimes when people are quiet, it's because the Lord is doing a work in their heart. I was like, okay. Because, you know, I come from the hood where when you preach, people shout. So I don't get upset when there's a quiet crowd. Because I pray that the Lord is doing a stirring in our hearts. 
that the gospel of Jesus Christ has given us something to think about. And so we find in the text that, that here they come before the Lord. They pour out the worship uh, of the water before the Lord as a humiliation, as a sacrifice to God. They had to give up their false gods and turn to the Lord God Almighty. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, rather than freeing ourselves from idolatry, we've merely transferred our idols. We no longer worship wood and stone. Today, our gods have electrodes and silicon chips, steel, paper, and glass. What God are you serving today? Some of us serve the God of our bank accounts. Well, I can't do that one. (laughs) But there are some things I've had to let go of in this journey. And if any man says that he is without sin. The Bible says he is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we all have a reckoning that we have to do daily before the Lord that we might be like the nation called by Samuel to commit ourselves to God, to pour an offering of sacrifice as we are humiliated Humbling ourselves. God says in order to have true revival, we must repent. We must commit. But then he wants some bold Christian soldiers. And we're going to shout and then I'm going to be done. Bold soldiers on the battlefield. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. He does not want chicken Christians. He doesn't want the frozen chosen. And, and I'm going to tell you, sometimes, uh, 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 if, are we on social media today? No. Okay. Sometimes believers get on my nerves. Because we're so spiritual. Sometimes we're so religious. Sometimes we're just, oh, my goodness. But Jesus got his sandals on on the seashore of Galilee. And hung out calling disciples from fishing. He got where the people were. Sometimes, church, we spend time looking down our long spiritual nose at people. And they're just waiting to be saved. My pastor used to say you were so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. But look at what happens in this text. They submitted their lives to God's authority. Do you know I am a redeemed hoodlum? And don't talk about me because I wasn't at the bar with you. Oh, you weren't at the bar. They were at the bar out there. But we all are redeemed from something. We are all set free from sin, the depraved nature that acquired us, amen, to be found wanting before the Lord. And the wickedness of who we were had to be ratified at the feet of Jesus Christ when he went to the cross and he died. I'm glad about that. I'm glad that he went to the cross and he died because that is where we found our grace and our mercy. And so the world tells us to push our way to the top to get ahead. But the reality is that we have to come as a lamb before the Lord. But yet as a lion 
serving beside Christ, telling the world about the one who came to save that which was lost. So rather than pushing ourselves to the top, as Matthew 23, 11 says, let the greatest among you be the servant. Rather than living in a dog-eat-dog mentality in the world, we must bear the infirmities of the weak. The world tells us what? To get in where you fit in. But Philippians 2 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in the lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others more than themselves. It's interesting that we see the call of God's people being called back to him. If we need that today, we ought to be able to share that with our neighbors, with our friends, that we're being called back to the Lord. Or are we like that church in Laodicea who tell everybody we got it going on? We don't tell them about the fussing at the board meetings. Oh, that don't happen at Bethel. We, we don't tell them about when we don't get our way, how we shut down on the pastor. The Lord is calling us to revival. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited because when I look at the way of salvation, the way that Jesus walked out the Via Della Rosa Road, went to the place of the skull called Calvary, was hung up high and stretched out wide. The reality for me, church, is that I find myself repenting before the Lord. I find myself recommitting to God that he saved me. He bought me with the precious price of the blood of Christ on the cross. And I find myself doing as Dr. Henry Blackaby says, I look at where God is at work and I join him because guess what? There is nothing more of value to my life than to serve God 24-7. If you don't believe me, ask that lady. We roll for the Lord. That's my ride or die chick right there. We roll for God. I'm just me. So I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. I'm just going to tell you the truth that we need to understand that God is calling us back. And so my last point in the text is that revival requires very significant actions. God always requires us to do something. When Moses went up on the mountain, the Lord told him what? Take off your shoes, Moses, for the ground upon which you stand is holy ground. Moses got in the cleft of the rock and the glory of the Lord passed by. But Moses had to put his shoes back on and come down off the mountain and deal with a heady, high-minded people. So no matter what we do in this place, in this space for worship, no matter how we enjoy the glory of the Lord, no matter how, amen, we find ourselves just loving the way this awesome praise team sang this morning, I'm going to tell you, but I was tripping when they said that part in that song about uh, the big wet kiss. I was like, okay, all right. (laughs) I was like, wow, they put that in the Baptist song, all right. We're getting somewhere. We're loosening up a little bit, right? But no matter what we do in this place, the Lord still requires us to get back out in the world. 
There are folks within a half mile radius of this church, I guarantee you, who knows not the Lord. I saw some people start trying to figure out the the geography. Well, I know them, and I know them. (laughs) That just about covers it. I bet you they're out there. But we won't know unless we go. Oh, my goodness. So the children of Israel becomes, again, a picture of what it means to follow the Lord and walk in his ways. And so the choice is yours this morning. Do you really want revival? And I I agree with Mother. She says we're better. But I, I, I know one thing. The challenges are greater, too. We're better. We have more information. We have more ability. Jesus said, greater things than this that shall you do. Right? In other words, Jesus said, you're going to cross more rivers. You're going to climb more mountains. You're going to be able to reach people that in the small geography that he covered, he didn't reach. But he, oh man, he equipped them guys. And oftentimes found himself saying to the disciples, oh, ye of little faith, when they went to Jesus and said, how come we couldn't cast out the demon? Jesus just looked at them. He's like, man, I'm not even going to talk to y'all right now. Oh, ye of little faith. He understands who we are. He knows our limitations and our shortfalls, but he also equipped us and empowered us that we might be engaged by the Holy Spirit who indwells us that we can go to those who are lost. When we planted the church in Detroit, I had no clue of how many lost folks God would put in our midst. But every single Sunday for years, God sent different people into the sanctuary that would testify. I was just walking down the street and something told me to come in this building. And after a while, I began to wonder, like, good grief, does this happen at anybody else's church? But we were called to share the gospel and not just wait. I remember the old deacon praying, saying, what must I do to be saved? Uh, uh, He said, tell people that we are waiting, praying for people to come running. That is not what Jesus said. They, They would pray every Sunday, Lord Let them come running, saying, what must I do to be saved? That's not biblical. Matthew 28 says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So at what point, Bethel, do we get revived to get about God's business? And I'll say it again. I said it before, but it doesn't matter whether you got white hair, curly hair, gray hair, short hair, long hair. We're all at different stages of faith and life. But God can still use you where you are. If you're in water aerobics at the Y, God can use you. If you play pickleball, God can use you. It doesn't matter where you are. All that matters is that you're willing to repent before the Lord, commit your life to him, and take up the action that the Lord gives us. Because he will do it. 
Jesus died that we might do it. Jesus died that we might have life and life more abundantly. But the church today is in need of revival. So as uh, that chef would say when he sprinkled the spice, he'd say, we need to kick it up a notch. Bam. I watch too much television, don't I? Too many memes. There is a meme. So can we agree together that it's time to, to be about God's business? I love what you guys have done inside of here. Because it it's been changing. I see it transforming a little bit more. Those weren't like that when I was here before. Things are transforming. But the reality is it's not about just what happens in here. What makes us good believers is not just how much we give or how many days, uh, Sundays a year that we show up out of the 52. What the Lord is seeking for are those who are willing to go. But first, we need to be revived by repenting, committing, and taking up actions. Or as the general would say, taking up arms. Is there anybody ready and willing to go? I'm going to ask the same question I asked the first time I preached. Are we willing to go? I heard three yeses. I guess you say you can't fool God if you try to fool me, so you just ain't going to say nothing. I'm looking at a great group of folks who have held the church fast. If you're of Bethel, would you just raise your hand? Praise the Lord. Later on, we're going to talk about the life cycle of a church. And it will, it will surprise you when you see it. I want to offer this to someone who may not be one of the hand raisers this morning. That the Lord God told us in Romans 3 and 23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. He says that in Romans 6 and 23. In Romans 5 and 8, he says, but... God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he didn't stay dead. For Romans 10 and 9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is the way of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're here this morning in that prayer, you have never accepted Christ. The prayer that I pray, you can accept Christ in that moment. It requires nothing greater than that. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you. We pray, dear Lord, that if someone is here that have not accepted you as their Savior, that they would just merely repeat these words, God, I come to you now admitting that I am a sinner. But I want to be saved and I accept the fact, God, that you sent your son to die on the cross for me. But he didn't stay dead. God, I believe it. I trust that he was raised on the third day that I might have life. 
That God, he ascended back unto you, sitting on your right hand. Father, that I might pray that God, he will intercede for me. And he has at the cross. Father, we thank you for this time, for this church. And for all that you call us to do in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ. We say today, amen.